Welcome back to Gal on the Go Unplugged. Celebrity chef Maria Liberati was called the Italian Martha Stewart by Celebrity Society Magazine. Formerly a supermodel, she completed her culinary studies in Italy and her country farmhouse in the mountains of Italy inspired her books. Maria is considered one of the foremost Italian cuisine, wine, and culture experts. She is also a highly sought-after food consultant. In addition, Maria appears at many food and wine trade events around the globe, and her blog is read by over 300,000 worldwide subscribers. Hi, Maria. Thank you for coming down on Plug. Thanks, Kimberly. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Okay, so I know that the listeners are going to want to get the dish on you, and the pun is intended. (laughs) Okay, so as I mentioned, you began your career as a supermodel. How did your culinary interest and transition to becoming a professionally trained chef come about? Well, it started because I actually, I was modeling in Italy, but while I was there on some off times, I decided to start um, researching my family and meeting other family members that I had never met before and researching history and all. And found out that my dad's mom, her side of the family, they had this old world bakery and they made this very local bread to this region that they were from. And um, I had gotten a hold of one of my great aunt's um, recipe books that I started studying. And then my dad's dad, who lived in another region, his family had a winery in the mountains of Abruzzo, which is the region they're from, Abruzzo. It's kind of in the center south, sort of. And um, they had a winery, so they made their own wines and sold breads and cheeses, that local cheese and all that. So I kind of started spending time with this, and it really sparked an interest. And then I decided to take things further and... uh go to culinary school there in Italy. I really, well, it's not really that hard to fall in love with the food in Italy. It's just another level. It's just another thing. And it was kind of close to what I grew up with, but even more intense. So because a lot of the things that you couldn't get you know, home and and in in the U.S. that, you know, we would make recipes with, but not quite exact. You could get the real thing now in Italy. But anyway, so I I really did fall in love with food. And and, uh, so I ended up, I ended up studying it professionally and then doing cooking programs for wineries and resorts and for special events and and doing my books as well. So that was kind of how, and I, and I ended up studying with some, some chefs at different local, very local restaurants too, throughout different parts of Italy. Well, if you're going to learn how to cook Italian food, doing it in Italy, the legit way is the way to go. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's the place to do it, definitely. How can you take your culture and ethnicity and kick it up a notch, go directly to the source? <laughs> That's exactly right, yes. Now, what is your signature dish, either like that you had learned or it developed over the years and it became your signature dish? I Well, you know, there's a few dishes that I really love making that are 
just kind of, well, I consider them really simple, but like I love doing risotto and risotto is really not a dish from where my family's from or from, but I just love making it. It's, I think of it as like a comfort food, especially if you do like risotto with peas and a little bit of butter and Parmigiano Reggiano cheese. It's such an, uh, such an awesome dish to make, especially in the winter. And uh, one of my other dishes I usually do for like holidays is a fresh lasagna with fresh pasta. And um, my grandmother did, she used to make it with, uh, she used to slice mozzarella and then slice hard boiled eggs and cook it that way. And it was really good. And I have a feeling that's what she would stuff it with. And, um, you know, you can put little meatballs in it too, if you want, or you can make it meatless. I'm not eating too much meat this, these days. So I do without the meat, but I have a feeling that the sliced eggs they did because, you know, at a certain point in Italy, things were really tough economically. So if they couldn't get the meat, they had the chickens and they had the eggs and that that was kind of the protein that was put in the lasagna with the tomato, you know, a tomato sauce on it. And it's just really, really delicious. So that's one of my other dishes that I, you know, I love doing. I usually do it around the holidays because it is a little heavy and it does take time to make. I think those are probably two of my favorite things to do. And then I, I like to do a bread, uh, sort of a bread pudding that I do with the Italian Christmas bread. It's called panettone. It's kind of like, it's their version of um, like a, a fruit and uh, like a fruit cake, but it's not a fruit cake. It's actually a bread. It has usually raisins in it. What happens is people give them as gifts, you know, when you go to to dinner to people's houses over the holidays. So you end up having so much of this bread and you don't want to throw it away. So I ended up uh, while I was there saying, you know, I have to figure a way to come up with to, to save this. So I ended up making this chocolate cherry. It's sort of like a bread pudding dish that you do with the panettone. So that's really good too. And that's actually in one of my books also. So I think those are probably the three you know, my three kind of signature favorite dishes to do. I have never heard of the lasagna with eggs and I've heard of lasagna with many different things. And that is so fascinating. The aspect yeah. of meat being expensive and how could they make a substitute, but still get the protein nourishment. Right. So wild. And I'd be curious to try that. And the bread too, I think I've seen it, but I don't believe unless it was when I was little that I've actually had some of the sweet bread. Um, uh -huh. They, they sell it now in uh, because it became so popular at Christmas time. You can find it in many gourmet supermarkets. Even some normal supermarkets do sell it because it's so popular now. I'm going to have to look out because I want legit. Now, you know, if you mentioned it, I don't want like, you know, some sub. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, OK. And then um, you had mentioned. So I'm going to backtrack for one second. You had mentioned like you're not um, eating meat or incorporating meat as much in your dishes anymore. Is there like a reason for that? Well, I've actually been a, a uh, well, not really vegetarian, I should call pescatarian for many years. And I just feel healthier that way. And I eat fish occasionally, not as not that much, but I do, I do still eat fish and I'll still have cheese. So it's considered a pescatarian. 
and uh, not a vegan. Vegan is totally no cheese, no dairy. And I do have eggs and I do have the, the cheeses, but I just felt feel healthier and I'm able to maintain my weight and not eating meat. It just, uh, truthfully, it just really, I really, I never really liked it. Um, when I was younger, I used to like to eat it a lot. And, and then all of a sudden, I just stopped. Your taste change? Yes. <laughs> So I'm, you know, as I said, I'm a, I'm a pescatarian. I do, but I still do cook meat dishes for, you know, um, events and, and people and things like that. So I still do that. I still do that occasionally if it calls for it. But uh, I all, I'm always coming up with meat, like ways to substitute, you know, for meat. And there are so many interesting things. There are lots of traditional recipes in Italy that actually make meatballs out of eggplant. Oh, wow. You actually mash eggplant. It's really, really good, actually. Very good. So there are different ways to make like meatballs and different things. And truthfully, when you eat in Italy, the meat is always usually served as a separate course. So it's not spaghetti and meatballs. It's spaghetti's one course and then meatballs would be another course. And not a lot of foods incorporate meat of course there's the lasagna that has the meat on it and there are some other dishes but not a lot of foods incorporate dishes meat a lot of times is a separate kind of a course it's a separate dish so there are you know there are different countries i can remember traveling throughout germany and everything has meat on it everything and uh so but in italy even the pizza you can find a lot of pizza without that without any meat if you do, you know, if you do want that. So it's really not that difficult actually to eat that way when you're in Italy because meat is usually served as a different course um, with some exception. Now, what's the most unusual thing that isn't meat, but you could turn into meat? Would it be the meatballs that are made of eggplant? Is that one not like hardest, most unusual, something like that? Well, yeah, there's, you can do the eggplant. You can make meatballs out of eggplant, like mashed eggplant. Um, you can, you know, there are so many different meat substitutes out there that you can actually stir fry or saute the ground meat substitute with some garlic and onion. And then if you want like a bolognese sauce, which typically has ground meat in it, you can use, you know, a meat substitute. It's really, really easy to, um, there are so many meat substitutes out there and um, you can even make meatballs out of lentils. You can, you know, put lentils together and uh, you can make meatballs out of that, out of lentils, um, different kinds of like meat patties out of lentils with different vegetables that you put in food processor processor there's so many different ways that to do things without meat so there's lots of different things and with all the meat substitutes out there you have to be careful not all the meat substitutes are really that healthy for you they have loads of fat and salt and things like that so you have to read the ingredients there are lots of meat substitutes out there that you know if a dish calls for meat and you don't want meat you just use a meat substitute just substitute that to that point, you know, given your signature dishes and the fact that you could substitute, you know, meat for healthier alternatives or just for dietary reasons. Um, right. What's one of your favorite cooking techniques and why? One of my favorite cooking techniques. Hmm. 
well, I love rolling out dough for pasta, you know, and, and doing it all by hand. Wow. Not, I was just talking to someone, I forget, I don't know if it was on my podcast, but we were talking about that, you know, when you have the time, it's just so neat to do it. And actually the finished product is much different than what you get if you do the machine. So if you do your pasta by hand and, you know, I, oh, that's what it was. I was telling someone about a bakery that I went to in the mountains of a region called La Marque. And this bakery happens to be at the top of the mountain. It's Mount Sevilla. It's amazing that they grow the wheat in front of this bakery and they mill the wheat like right down the road at a mill. They get it milled, they bring it back and they make this bread in these ovens that are over 50 years old. Wow. And the, the guy that owns it, his family has owned this. It's been in the family. I think the ovens might even be 100 years old. But everything is done by hand. And one of his comments was that the, the flavor of the bread takes on the personality of the person that makes it. So it's pretty much all done by hand. Like the kneading and everything was really incredible. And the, the flavor, oh, my goodness, it was just, it was bread that I had never tasted before. It was just so good. It was incredible because it was real. You know, the wheat had just been milled and it was made by hand and all this. And the ovens were, like I said, at least 5,200 years old. So it's it was an incredible taste. So you know, the, the method that you're making the things you're making to have a lot of influence on the flavor of, uh, of, what, you're, of the, what comes out. So yeah, I love doing the pasta by hand. And of course, you have to have time to do that because it's not like a five minute thing. And the thing is, to, you have to make sure you have the time to do it because you don't want to, you know, you don't want to do it and say, I'll do it in 10 minutes. or It's just not going to come out right. You do you have to, you know, just set aside time, say on a Sunday, if you have time to do that. So I really enjoy doing that. I enjoy doing risotto. I think it's kind of, it's really like therapeutic. It takes about 20 minutes, but it's a lot of stirring. And again, you can't do it quick. You shouldn't buy the instant risottos that they have out there. They're really, you know, they're filled with sodium. The flavor is just two different things if you do the real one from scratch versus. So I, you know, I enjoy doing that too. I enjoy doing risotto from, from scratch as well. But like I said, the hammy pasta. Is there anything when you're cooking these dishes that you use, like you mentioned, those ovens are like 50, 100 years old. Do you uh -huh. have anything that was given to you like a spatula or a tool of some kind that you use to this day that was handed down to you by someone? So my grandfather had this we call it a mandolin. A mandolin is actually like a guitar, but it's called a mandolin. It's steel and you cut pasta on this mandolin. So like you get a sheet of dough and then, you know, they're wires and you put the sheet of dough through that and it cuts the, the sheet of pasta in strands. Yeah, that's something. And also I have uh, I don't know if you know what this is, but there's something called a pizzelle iron. Pizzelli are Italian wafer cookies. My favorite. <laughs> yes. So now everybody makes them in, the electric, uh, in an electric iron, but uh, kind of like a waffle iron. 
way back they used to make them they were they made them by hand so it's an iron but it's got a long handle and you turn you cook them for so many minutes on one side over your range and then you turn them over and you cook them on the other side so i do have that that as well i haven't i i have to admit i don't use that a lot because that it's really tedious to do that as you can imagine the, the one thing that's really funny is when i studied one of my great aunts well my great aunt that was a baker her recipe book and she had this thing where um she had instruction on there that you sing or you say a prayer i forget the prayer prayer was whatever the prayer was for each side so you say this prayer for you know and then when you're done the prayer you turn it over and you know so that's how she timed it in other words you know no electric timers and things like that it would that is wild so she pasted completely based on like the timing of the prayer exactly exactly so that's what they would do but yeah it's by hand and i do i do still have that so that is really, really interesting. So, uh, and it's interesting to make that. So that usually comes out better if you have a gas, you know, when you have a gas, gas stove to cook those over. But, um, but yeah, and I, you know, I've used that every so often too. I don't want to use them too much because they're extremely old and um, I kind of have them as a memory. So yeah, yeah, they're the two items that I really love. Oh, that's cool. I love that. <laughs> Now, 2010, you won the prestigious Gourmand World Awards for your cookbook series, The Basic Art of Italian Cooking. Yes. The Gourmand Awards screen over 100,000 cooking publications from over 230 countries. That's amazing. The scope of the selection reflects the passion of you know, the humanity of cooking and the immense food challenges of the 21st century. It has such deep meaning. What does that honor mean to you, though? Oh, it it meant it really meant a lot. I I I was really shocked because um, they actually notified me by email, and um, we had actually I had entered it just kind of on a whim. I'm like, oh, I'll just you know, and they they notified me. I was actually in Italy at the time, which was a good thing because um, the ceremony was in Paris. And um, they had chefs like from all over the world. It was really interesting. So my book series was selected with won the award that was the best Italian cookbook in of the United States. So they pick they pick an award for specific cuisines for specific countries for the books. So but yeah, that was incredible. It was really and the thing about it was um, one of the governing bodies of the awards. I can't think of their name, but they're really into authentic Italian cuisine and sustainable and, you know, local and and all natural and all so they were really impressed by you know my recipes in the book that it was you know it kind of followed along the lines of what their philosophy is so um so yeah i was very very excited about that as well now are the recipes that are part of that series are they recipes that were handed down to you from family or ones you developed or a mix of things they're kind of a, a mix of things and some I tweaked, you know, some I kind of tweaked to be more modern and, and some are just really like traditional 
traditional dishes, which I think are the best because there are many of the traditional Italian dishes, many of them only have a few ingredients. The trick is that you have to use the best of those ingredients. You have to, you know, if you're going to use olive oil, you have to use really good extra virgin cold pressed olive oil to get a good flavor. And, um, you know, if you're going to use Parmigiano-Reggiano cheese, use Parmigiano-Reggiano, not the Parmesan, which is really like the ends of the Parmigiano-Reggiano that they don't want in Italy mixed in with cellulose. So you don't get a full flavor. So people, a lot of times here, put loads and loads of that stuff on pasta because you have to. But if you use the real stuff, you just really need a little bit to get the flavor. So even though it's more, it costs more, but you don't need as much. But um, but yeah, the recipes in my cookbooks are a smattering of, it's a mix of, of recipes I've developed or recipes that um, were handed down from my family that I kind of tweak um, or, you know, recipes that I know are traditional recipes and I may have tweaked them a little. And so it's a combination, but my books really are, they also have stories in them because I wanted my books to have kind of a personality, not just be recipes. So each of the chapters always have a story that may relate to that chapter's recipes and the menus and all, because I just feel like the character of Italy, the place, the people really relate to also the food and the enjoyment of the food. So it's not just about the food, you know, sitting in a place in Italy and eating a dish is, is really an experience. So that's what I want not just, you know, okay, I put this cup of flour, a cup of this, a cup of that. I wanted it to be more of an experience that people can read. And, you know, if you if you may not want to cook, you can still read the book because there are lots of stories about my life in Italy or traveling throughout Italy as well. That's my type of cookbook because I am not a good cook. Even though I grew up immersed in amazing, you know, Italian cooking aunts and grandmother. Uh, and I think not just myself, but I think a lot of people these days appreciate your type of cookbook because everyone is searching for an authentic experience, right? right. And so that if you can feel like a connection of some kind of something, it really does become more than just like a meal. Right. That's the idea. I think that's beautiful that you've done that because, you know, let's say I, I don't have the money and or for whatever reason, I know I won't be able to get to Italy. But if you set the scene for me and I can kind of like use my imagination while I'm cooking and immerse myself, that's such an awesome gift that you gave people. Exactly. I, and I, I always love to do what I call the a st staycations where I say, okay, let's do a staycation to Tuscany because right, not everybody gets a chance to experience being in Italy, but you can certainly, you know, try to create the same recipes and the same surroundings. It's not very difficult to do, you know, to have a Tuscan picnic outside 
and uh, with the same kind of sentiments, the same ideas that they use to decorate their table. It's very rustic and, you know, different color, different types of plates and glasses and, um, you know, create the same types of food and uh, th that feel at least without having to go there. And if you have kids, you can actually teach them about you know, being in Tuscany or the culture just by doing, you know, a little, you know, this type of a staycation. Well, okay. So you mentioned the dishes that are your signature dishes and some of the, the tools that were handed down to you. What is um, a tool that you currently use that like you can't live without? Like it's something that you can use almost in every dish you make, or it's a favorite for whatever reason. Oh, wow. That's kind of hard. <laughs> I think one thing, I mean, this is really simple. I, I don't use it in every dish, but any dish that I have to stir, you know, whether it's a sauce or a risotto or some kind of like a stew type of thing, because I love doing stews with loads of veggies and, and uh, then I add pasta to it or brown rice or something. My wooden spoon, you know, I love using wooden spoons. I don't like using a metal one. I always kind of feel like they give it a certain taste, but I use a wooden spoon a lot. And I do have culinary scissors that I love to use. So, you know, everybody loves to chop their veggies, but my grandmother used to cut everything with the culinary scissors, even pizza slices. So she would cut the, and, and it's just so much easier. So I do have a culinary scissors all the time in my kitchen and uh, always cutting up herbs and, and pizza and, and things like that. Anything I can cut with the scissors that's a little bit easier than uh, slicing. And usually the herbs, I, I like doing that because it gives it kind of like a rustic cut. And I just think it's it's uh, much easier. So yeah, I have my culinary scissors and my wooden spoon. <laughs> I, I think it's really neat that you know you're saying the scissors give things like a rustic texture. And I haven't heard of the scissors in forever. My grandmother also had used, she was Sicilian, she used scissors to cut square pizza. Right. And I always thought, why is grandma using scissors? Like, I didn't understand that there were culinary scissors. So I was just like. And that back then they weren't culinary scissors. They just used scissors. Now we have these fancy culinary. So that's so wild. I feel like you just gave her justification because I had no idea like <laughs> that other people's grandmothers did that. Exactly. And yes, and actually a lot of things that, that our grandmothers did were from what we call this peasant kitchen. They didn't have the money. So they did stuff. They reused bread. They used scissors. Maybe they couldn't go out and buy all these fancy knives. So they're using scissors. They found out that worked better. And all these things they did are things now that you can pay oodles of money for. So now we have culinary scissors that you buy at the gourmet kitchen store. And where did they get that from? They got that from, you know, our grandmothers doing that as well as there's a lot of recipes that they make at really expensive restaurants that reuse like leftover bread, day old bread and things like that, that they used to use because they were poor and had to figure a way to conserve. Well, now people are knowing they're really these delicious dishes. So a lot of that stuff, yeah, is really taking hold today. That's so cool that you brought that up because it makes me so proud of how ahead of their time they really were. Like that's a lot of ingenuity, you know? 
Oh, yes. Well, you know, they didn't have much, so they didn't have a lot of money, but yet they're proud of their food and they're cooking the Italians. So they would spend a lot of time in the kitchen trying to figure out how to reuse the day old bread or or whatever was in their garden. And uh, they came up with some really fantastic recipes that to this day, you know, are served in some of the most expensive restaurants. So yes, you had mentioned that sustainability, you know, um, is important to you. And besides ingredients, like, you know, the taking of the bread and reusing it for other dishes, can you please explain like, what about the sustainability aspect is important to you? And um, what are some other ways you creatively use leftovers? Right. Well, not wasting food. Food is so expensive today, especially. And that that was one thing that I learned in Italy because they had a history of having to reuse food and not waste food because it w- it's kind of more a recent, you know, it's not like yesterday, but it might be, say, 50 or 60 years ago, where here in the U.S. we're so spoiled, everybody just throws food away at the drop of a hat. You know, they see a brown spot on an apple, they'll just throw it away. And of course, I'm not saying that if something is spoiled, of course, you have to throw it away. But with leftovers, it's really important to reuse leftovers and you know, in, in lots of, there's so many ways to reuse leftovers before they are not usable. And usually if it's things like, for instance, vegetable peels or fruit peels, or maybe if fruit is definitely not usable, grow your own herbs and do a compost pile using fruit and vegetable peels or like expired fruits and coffee grinds, eggshells, compost. So that you have your own fertilizer and you can grow your own fresh herbs. So that's also another thing you can do with leftover food. But it's really important to uh, to reuse leftover food. You know, you can do it a frittata with leftover spaghetti. Just dump the leftover spaghetti in a frittata before it sets. Uh, it's really, really good. When it's cooked, you cut it up and you actually can wrap it like a parchment paper and just it's it's actually a street food in Italy. So it's really, really good. And especially in Naples, that's kind of where they started doing that there. They were really poor. And now it's like a big, you know, it's a big dish because it's so delicious. But there are so many ways to reuse the food that you have without throwing it away for many, many reasons. But as I said, if you can grow your own herb garden, you know, compost, just get the compost little containers or you can find them anywhere or just make your own, really. Um, And just compost your vegetable and fruit peels and vegetables or fruits that may have gone bad. So at least you're reusing them also for that purpose. I love it. You know, one of the fun memories I have also is, um, you know, my grandparents had gardens and I would, you know, they'd have like tomatoes growing like crazy and cucumbers and, you know, peppers. And it would be so fun as a kid to wander through the garden and pick things. And now like you would never really see that thanks to HOAs that squash that. Yes. It's cool that like now there's like rooftop gardens and high rise buildings and like community gardens and designated areas. So it's not the same, but at least it's something. 
basements and they even have these vertical things you can do a vertical garden like if you live in an apartment just have a little patio you can do vertical garden you can just put stuff in little pots and put them on your patio i mean it's really really so easy to do also somebody told me something that was really interesting they told me that before World War II, 60% of the veggies that we ate in the U.S. came from people's own garden. Today, 0.2%. Do you believe that? Oh, my gosh. That's like a huge discrepancy. <laughs> Yeah. So it's like, oh, come on. It's really great for you in many different ways. Besides the healthy aspect of eating or your own organic stuff, it's also therapeutic to garden and spend time plants. So there's so many different benefits out of that. So um, yeah, I was really shocked when I heard that statistic. I hope we can turn that around as people are becoming more conscious, you know? I do too. I sure do. I sure do. People need to start doing more growing. Yes. What is like the biggest treat for you um, to have that someone would make you as a dish? Is it, is it, and is it Italian dish or not necessarily? Yeah. Well, I love, I mean, one of my favorite foods, I love pizza. I could eat pizza like day and night. I could just have it for breakfast or so, you know, a good pizza. So that I think that's something, you know, I never tire of. <laughs> and if somebody makes a great pizza, that's fine with me. Yes. I'm with you. And uh, and I'm really glad that I had something to eat before this interview, because I'm telling you right now, I'd be drooling in me. My stomach would be growling. All this talk about this incredible food. Well, I'm just going to give a little background, you know, so to our listeners, um, Maria and I got together to do this special pod swap in which she's on Unplugged. And then I'm going to be um, going on the flip side of the mic and going on Maria's show. And yes. Maria, you ask your guests, um, what does food mean to you? And despite their different passions and careers, you connect them through their passion for food. Yes. You have a podcast yourself and it's called the Maria Liberati Show. And on your show, you ask each of your guests, what does food mean to you? So I want to flip that question back to you and ask you, what does food mean to you? Actually, it means so many things to me. You know, food means family. And I think, you know, in all the answers that I've had from people, it, it means a whole lot to me because it just, you know, food does spark memories. Um, for me, it was all about, you know, the food. And growing up, we always had large groups of family in the kitchen all cooking together. So for me, it's food is family and, and memories and fun, really. To learn more about Maria, visit her IG page at Maria Liberati. And check out her website, www.marialiberati.com. You can also find these details in the Gal on the Go Unplugged show notes. Thank you for taking the time to unplug with me today, Maria. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And to my listeners, remember, be curious, be kind, and be bold.